history nerds and historians. My name is Christina, and this is FDA Mythology. This is where we talk about a little tidbit from mythology that is super fucked up. So today is part two of the Trojan War and the events that led up to it. Last time we talked about the wedding of Peleus and Thetis, how Eris came and fucked everything up. Paris, the judgment of Paris, Helen of Troy, and very briefly about Cassandra. So today we're going to continue on with these events that led up to the war. We're going to talk about Achilles, a little bit about Odysseus and some of the other big names that will be mentioned a lot in future episodes. And we're also going to talk about Iphigenia. So without further ado, and no dilly-dallying from me, sit back, relax, and practice your, oh good god, what the fuck faces. So like we mentioned in the last episode, Peleus and Thetis are married. So while everything with like Athena and Hera and Aphrodite is happening and with Paris of Troy and all of that, when all of that stuff is happening, Peleus and Thetis make a baby, right? So Thetis becomes pregnant with Peleus's child and the gods rejoice that she will give birth to the greatest among mortals, but that he will not be better than a god. And Zeus is like, hell yeah, I made the right decision allowing Peleus to rape her and take her as a wife. I have done nothing wrong in this situation. Everything is perfect and everything is awesome as am I. So after the standard like nine or so months, Thetis gives birth to Peleus' son and they name him Achilles. Now there are some sources that say that her and Peleus actually had seven children, but the first six died. Every night Thetis would try to remove the mortality from Achilles, which is where some of the stories that their first two children died come into play because removing the mortality from someone is not an easy task. I, I know like if you've read the book Circe, she just like gives them a flower and like that makes them uh, immortal in some of these senses. But uh, no, no. In one version of this myth, uh, she tries to remove Achilles mortality by bathing him in ambrosia and nectar during the day and then at night tossing him into a fire or holding him over a fire and like literally trying to burn the mortality off of him. And then the other way is by dipping Achilles in the river Styx, which is like super dangerous and poisonous. So with Achilles, he actually survived these. They may have had more children who didn't survive these, but Achilles survives these. Now with the version in which he's dipped into the river Styx, they just held him by his heel, not realizing that that was a spot that would be like an insta-death for him. And in the other version, she bathed him in ambrosia and was in the process of setting him on fire when Peleus comes in and is like, what the fuck are you doing? Are you making baby barbecue? Get get the baby out of the fire and put that thing about where it came from. Oh, so help me. And in that version, she sort of just like drops Achilles and is like, yeah, I'm, I'm fucking done. And then goes back to the ocean. Regardless, her attempts at making him immortal are not successful. So that whole son of Thetis would be better than his father thing. Okay, you know, uh, Achilles was destined to not only be better than his father, but was said to be the best warrior in the world. And he would be the best warrior that the world has ever and would ever see. So Achilles, once 
Thetis leaves. Um, there are some versions and like the version that's mentioned in Song of Achilles is that Thetis is required to live with Peleus for one year. And then, like the moment that year is up, she goes back to the ocean. Um, but then in others, she just like abandons Achilles once Peleus walks in on them. So Achilles is, is essentially just raised by Peleus and Pythia. And when Achilles is a little older, Peleus sends him to train with Chiron, the centaur. Like I said in the last episode, Chiron is not like the other centaurs that we ran into in other myths. He's wise and relatively civilized, even though he's a misogynist. And he trains Achilles to be a fierce warrior. So time has passed and news has spread that Helen has been taken, whether by her own accord or not. And that oath is now being called in. It's essentially like the draft at this point. Now, the main people that are called in to fight are Menelaus, obviously. I mean, husband of Helen. He has a lot of stake in this. Also, his brother Agamemnon, who is king of Mycenae, who was like richer and has a bigger army. And he steps in and says, I will I will lead the army for you, brother, because I care so much about you. And I care that, that you have been cucked by your wife. Um, but also, Troy is said to be a really, really rich city. And I would like some of that gold and riches please (laughs) so it was like for his brother but also like for himself as well you know um there was also Nestor, who was the king of Pylos. He was super old. He's actually an Argonaut. So we've mentioned him in passing a couple of times, but he was still a warrior and he was ready to go fight. But he was mostly as a come for his wisdom and like long ass old man stories about the good old days when like blah, blah happened. I swear, like every time he's mentioned in the Iliad, it's followed by like 15 pages of like, oh, well, I, when I was a young man. Uh, we went uphill backwards while also fighting off Amazons or like fucking whatever. He's really annoying. I usually just skip over a lot of what he's saying, unfortunately. Um, Diomedes is also another one. I can't figure out if I like him or not. I go back and forth. He's annoying as hell most of the time in the Iliad, but he has some parts that are like absolutely fantastic. He was the king of Argos and was a really great warrior. He was relatively young, probably like the third greatest warrior in the Greek army. The second greatest warrior was Ajax the Great or the Greater, not to be confused with Ajax the Lesser, which poor dude, if that's how you're regarded. And then there was Odysseus. Odysseus is honestly probably like one of the most well-known of these men outside of Achilles. And that's most likely because of the Odyssey, which is his story of what happens once the Trojan War is complete. So spoiler, he lives. The story is also like 3000 years old. So I'm sorry to tell you like this if you don't know. Odysseus was a fun dude. He's really interesting. Um, So it's said that he was loved the most by Athena. And the only other warrior in the warrior in the Trojan War, who is loved to that extent was Diomedes, and they shared her biggest qualities. So Diomedes was courageous and skillful in battle, and then Odysseus was wise and cunning. So I just like to say that he's a trickster. Um, typically, it's like trickster gods, but Odysseus, pretty much every time you see him, he's he's hatching plans to, to be tricky. And the first time we see him, he's trying to play a trick. And when the men come to bring him to war, he does not go without trying to to stay behind because uh, Odysseus just got married recently to Penelope, who is the cousin of Helen. And she just had their son Telemachus and he didn't want to leave his wife and his new son for a war that he honestly had no personal stake in. So he pretends to be insane because an oracle told him that if he leaves, it would be a very long time before he returns home. So when the men come to get 
um, Odysseus from Ithaca, he yokes a donkey and an ox to his to his plow. Um, some versions say that it's a horse and an ox that he yokes instead. But regardless of like what animal they are, they're different weights, they're different strengths, they're different stride lengths. So he's already setting himself up for failure. Right. And as he's, you know, using these two animals that are not well equipped to work together to plow his field, he starts sowing salt in the ground, which, you know, yeah, it's not seeds. But also, in addition to that, it's going to ruin his soil. So he's just mumbling to himself and he's acting like he's gone insane. So that way, maybe they'll be like, oh, no, we can't have him come in. It reminds me of like across the universe where he's just pretending to be sick. Uh, so that they won't get him for the draft. And just like in Across the Universe, they're like, nope, you're fine. As long as you don't have flat feet, you're good. So one of the men takes baby Telemachus, who was just born, out of Penelope's arms and lays it in front of the plow. And Odysseus veers the plow off so that he doesn't run over his baby. And then like, oop, poof, just kidding. He's not insane at all anymore. He's actually just pretending because like, that's the only way that you can prove if someone is insane or not is by like trying to kill a baby. So he officially joins the ranks of the Greeks. Now, uh, an oracle, who uh, we all know how I feel about oracles, they told the Greeks that they would not be able to win against Troy without Achilles. But an oracle also told either Peleus or Thetis that if Achilles were to go to Troy, he wouldn't come back. He would die over there. The way it's usually described is Achilles, if you stay home, you will live a long life. You will father many children. You will die loved. And over time, your name will be forgotten. But if you go to Troy, you will not come back but the world will never forget your name. And one day, some random girl who has a thing for history and mythology will sit in front of a mic and tell your story. The Oracle knew how much I would hate her and is trying to win my favor and and, and it's not working. So either Peleus or Thetis, depending on what version or translation you read, did not want him to go to Troy. Uh, they didn't want him to die while he was over there. More often than not, it's Thetis who does this because you know she was the one that was trying to make him immortal. So... Thetis goes to Achilles at Chiron's and told him that they're going to flee and hide. They're also going to dress Achilles up like a girl and he's going to go by the name Pyrrha, which means flame colored, basically confirming that Achilles was a ginger. And he tries to kind of fight back and doesn't really like want to do it, but he's told he doesn't have a choice. And I think that for a lot of people, this would be kind of weird. So I think for a lot of people, their first exposure to the story of the Trojan War is the 2004 movie Troy. I know that was mine. And then in school, I read the Odyssey. And with that being your first exposure to Achilles and company, you'd be like, dude, he's a man. Just let him go to fucking war if he wants to go to fucking war. Because Brad Pitt was 40 years old when he played Achilles. But Achilles in real life, um, or I guess like in real myth, IRM, was a child. He was anywhere from 11 to his late teens. The consensus among most classicists and historians is that he's probably about 15 years old. So if your parent comes to you, especially if that parent is your mother, who is a goddess or nymph, rather, that should not be trifled with, and tells you that you're going away and you're going to dress as a girl and go by the name Pyrrha, you're going to throw on the fucking dress and go. 
So they put Achilles in women's clothing. He is young and beautiful, so it's pretty convincing. And they take him to Skyros before King Lycomedes. And they ask Lycomedes if he could take in Pyrrha and let her live amongst his seven daughters so she could learn how to be a girl and how to be a wife because she was raised by the Amazons and wasn't exposed to the feminine ways. And Lycomedes accepts Achilles slash Pyrrha, but... While he's there, Achilles falls in love with one of Lycomedes' daughters named Diadamia. And one night he reveals his true identity to her and confesses his feelings. And she claims to feel the same. And the two secretly get married and they have a son named Neoptolemus, who I think that I might hate just as much as Theseus. Actually, I think I might hate him more than Theseus. Like, I despise Theseus. I think Theseus is like my mortal enemy. And Neoptolemus is evil incarnate. But we'll get to him. So Achilles is hiding in Skyros, pretending to be the female Pyrrha. And Menelaus and his brother Agamemnon, who is married to um, Helen's sister, Clytemnestra, he's trying to help him like build this army and get Helen back. And with that prophecy in mind that the Greeks can't win against Troy without Achilles, Agamemnon sends some of the largest names from Greece to try and find him. So Odysseus was the one who led this group of people trying to find him. And depending on what version or translation you read, he's accompanied by Ajax the Great, Nestor, Phoenix, who in the Iliad is said that he like raised Achilles, essentially, and Diomedes. So the band of these men arrive at Skyros looking for Achilles, and they're pretty sure that he's there because they were told so by Calchas, who was a prophet. And when they arrive, Achilles wants to step forward and reveal himself, but he's convinced not to by his wife. So Odysseus, who, like I said, I, I just call him a trickster, figures out a way to try to make Achilles reveal himself. Now, depending on what version you read, there's two ways that he did this. The first is that when he came in, he laid out two sets of gifts for the women of Skyros. And in one basket, there was jewelry and trinkets, silk, etc., etc., things that women would like, obviously. And in the other ma- basket, there were like weapons and armor, you know, Manly things, bacon, old spice, uh, explosions that you don't look at and just walk away from, uh, burps, rulers where inches are smaller than the standard, uh, cars with 274 horsepower. Is that even a lot? Who knows? Not me. I'm just a woman. I'm going to go for the shiny basket. I have paused this recording to ask my husband if 274 horsepower is a lot. And he looked at me in the eye with such disappointment and then said my full given name and walked away. So I'm assuming that 274 horsepower is not a lot. Um. <laughs> oh, God. Cars are not my strong suit, guys. Anyway. So they put these two baskets out and all of the biological women went to the trinkets and Achilles went straight for the weapons. And that's how he was revealed. And the other version that's sometimes told, um, which is like the version that's told in Song of Achilles, they still put the two baskets out, but Achilles keeps it together and continues to act like a girl until one of the men with Odysseus steps out and simulates an attack on Skyros, shouting for aid and blowing the horn that symbols an attack. And and Achilles jumps to action and he picks up the weapons to defend everyone that was there. And Odysseus is like, hey, man, there you are. Time to go to Troy. And Achilles is like, yeah, fair, bro. Let me just get out of this here dress and uh, say bye to the wife. And he promises Diodamia that he'll come back. But I mean, that is not what the prophecy said. 
there's another version of the, this myth that I found when I was researching it that isn't as popular, I think, that um, it was told because people sort of had a problem with Achilles being kind of emasculated by this. So, uh, I mean, that's my opinion, but that's... So, uh, this other version is that Achilles went and conquered Skyros and imprisoned Lycomedes and just took Diodami as a wife, and that's how Odysseus and his men found him. But it's not nearly as fun as Achilles in a dress jumping on a table defending all of the women and people behind him, Right. So now that the Greeks have their smoking gun and they've made their way to the port of Aulis in Boeotia to meet with Agamemnon and then eventually leave for Troy. Calchas the seer is there and out of nowhere this giant snake with blood red marks along its back appears and it made its way to a sparrow's nest and it devoured eight chicks and the mother and once the birds were devoured the snake just disappeared and Calchas is like this is a message from the gods to prepare for a long time away from home because it means that we will be gone for nine years before anything happens but on the 10th year we will take Troy and why don't they just wait for nine years I couldn't tell you I'm I'm sorry but logic tells me that if we're not going to do anything for nine years just wait for nine years and then on the 10th year sail to Troy and then you'll be good but you know I that that would just make sense right so all of the men are about to leave for Troy knowing that it's going to take 10 years before anything is going to happen and then Agamemnon goes and pisses off Artemis when he kills a sacred deer Now, Artemis did not react nearly as hard as she did in the Atalanta myth, but she did stop the winds. And back then, you couldn't go anywhere without the wind on a ship. Even though they had people that rode, you couldn't sustainably do that for the trip that, according to Google, would have been like over 400 miles. So Calchas, the same seer that told Odysseus where Achilles was, told Agamemnon what happened and what he needed to do. So Agamemnon went and told Achilles that he was going to marry Agamemnon's daughter, Iphigenia. Now, even though Achilles was already married, it was fine. Even though everything that I've read said that they weren't allowed to have multiple wives, but I'm not a classicist, so Achilles is going to marry Iphigenia. So Iphigenia shows up a few days later with her mother Clytemnestra, and she's so excited to marry the beautiful young warrior, and she walks up to go to the wedding arch, but instead finds a funeral pyre. Artemis has demanded a life for a life. She wants a sacrifice, and it isn't a sacrifice if it doesn't hurt someone to lose it. And Achilles freaks out. Not only does he not want her to be sacrificed for the simple purpose of, of human sacrifice is not cool, but he's pissed that Agamemnon used him as bait to bring about her death. And Agamemnon's wife, Clytemnestra, is swearing her revenge if he does it. Achilles is trying to rally the troops to defend her and no one will join him. Everyone is demanding that the sacrifice is carried out. And the more that Achilles argues, the more enraged the soldiers get to the point where Achilles barely escapes being stoned to death. And Iphigenia sees this whole ordeal and realizes that she's not getting out of here alive. So she goes to Achilles and she asks him to not throw his life away for her. And her mother is screaming and crying and swearing and they're having to hold her back because she's trying to attack Agamemnon. She's trying to grab her daughter Iphigenia to get out of there as fast as she can. She's swearing revenge against her husband if he even lays a finger on their daughter. But Iphigenia consents to be sacrificed. She said that she would rather die heroically as a savior of Greece than to be dragged away and slaughtered mercilessly. And if it isn't her father who will do it quickly, it'll be one of the hundreds, if not thousands of soldiers that are standing by waiting for her blood to start flowing. So she goes to her death with composure and dignity, leading a hymn to Artemis. The moment that the first drop of blood hits the ground, the winds come back 
and we have the first casualty of the Trojan War. And that, my friends, is where we are going to stop today. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard and want to hear more, please consider subscribing or leaving a review or joining my Patreon, where you'll have early access to the next episode and a bunch of other perks. If you have any stories from history or mythology that you would like to hear me discuss, please reach out. I do have the next, like I said in the last episode, like 10 or so episodes planned. But outside of that, I would love to hear your favorite stories and explore new ones myself. And remember, friends, history may be watching you. So don't fuck it up. And don't cross Odysseus because he is a tricky motherfucker. Bye.